we had AGM yesterday. For those of you who showed up, um, we got to hear how God's been so good and faithful. As you can see on the background, we are celebrating 40th anniversary as a church. Um, looking back past year, God's been so good and faithful. But looking back four decades, God's been really good and faithful. So we celebrated God yesterday together. And also, for those of you who didn't make it, but have been giving so faithfully and generously financially, not just finances, uh, your time, uh, your sacrifice, your behind-the-scenes work, even this morning, behind-the-scenes work. A lot of you have been uh, serving so faithfully, so we wanted to thank God for you. And I see a lot of new faces even this morning. Welcome to our church family. I hope and pray that you will find Christ here. Uh, we are called New Hope Fellowship, and um, we live in, in day and age when things are pretty dark and bleak, and we can really fall into despair or hopelessness. And we want this place to be a place where you and I and us can truly find hope uh, in Jesus Christ. Um, so, yeah, thank you for your giving, thank you for your faithfulness, and thank you for being with us today. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Today we're reading from, and I'll be preaching from, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. Let's read aloud in one voice together. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth in an old garment. If he does... The patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But the new wine is for fresh wine skins. This is God's word. Please be seated. I'm looking at the time. It's 10.10. And Pastor David up there is smiling. <laughs> Because we want to be respectful of um, the Korean ministry uh, for them to prepare and to have their worship service at 11.30. And you know, I struggle to shorten my message. It's, uh, it's a really challenge for me, but I'll try. I'll try. Um, again, this year we're celebrating 40th anniversary. As you can see behind me, um, as we are celebrating 40th anniversary of God's faithfulness over this church, uh, we want to reset. You can see that over there. Reset resetting our hearts, our community, our ministry, our mission, so that we really have the gospel at the center of our identity, our ministry, our mission, our life group, everything that we do. Um, and we also want to be ready for the next 20, 40 years of what God will, God will do through this church. So the first five months, we are camping on the Gospel of Mark. 
uh, from which I'll be preaching this morning, really revisiting the foundation of our faith and identity, our vision and ministry, which will set the trajectory for the rest of the year. So the purpose of the sermon series on the Gospel of Mark is to really re-experience or experience the Gospel afresh. And for those of you who are sitting here, not really Maybe you know it in your head, but haven't really felt it or experienced it uh, yet. I hope and pray that we will do that together. And for those of, us, those of us who have experienced and known the gospel, that we will experience the gospel afresh. And at the heart of the gospel is the person, Jesus Christ. We don't just follow a doctrine or teaching of Jesus. We follow the person of Jesus. So we want to encounter the living and resurrected Jesus uh, through our sharing of God's word time on Sundays and in our small groups. So may that be the case, encountering Jesus afresh so that we may be equipped together as a church family to move, that's the vision statement, to, to a church that moves we're a move, we want to be a movement that is led by the Spirit, that is empowered by the Spirit, that moves with a gospel-centered, missional spirituality. So every opportunity that I get to preach from the Gospel of Mark, I'll be asking a couple of key questions, and that is, what is the gospel from the passage that we read today? And who is Jesus that we see and encounter from today's passage? And if the Lord allows and the time allows, then what does it mean? What does it look like to actually move as a church family with a gospel-centered missional spirituality? So first, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ from today's passage? Maybe I will be able to answer only that question today. It's okay. What's important is that we actually get what the gospel is and celebrate what the gospel is. Well, first of all, gospel is not a religion. Gospel is not a religion. It's different from religion. Tim Keller said this, religion is so different from the gospel, but is such an effective counterfeit. Religion and the gospel look like twins, but their DNA are utterly, completely different when it comes to motivation of what we do and why we do and inner character of how we live and how we do things. So even this morning, let's say we have about 100 and, no, 250 people in sanctuary. We are singing songs. We are listening to a message and we are trying to obey God's word and live a good life. And we give generously. We even serve. And we want to be good citizens, good family members, good church members. But the two people sitting next to each other this morning may have a radically different motivation, an inner character depending on whether you are living out your religion or you're living out 
the gospel. So Keller compares the gospel and religion this way. Religion says, I obey, therefore I am accepted. Well, I am the subject. Like, I need to work out to reach God. It's works-based religion. And it will make us tired, weary. And I was thinking, you know what? A lot of people, including myself, we actually do parenting religiously. I was convicted. Whereas the gospel says, I am accepted, therefore I obey. Meaning, God loves you unconditionally based on not what you have done, but based on what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's completely outside of what I have done. What Luther calls alien righteousness is imparted or given to me. It's alien in the sense of nothing to do with what what I've done. It's completely done by Jesus. And he has gifted me and I am accepted. God loves me. My broken self because of what Jesus has done. And out of that experience of God's grace, we call that grace, gift of God, we obey. Now that's a complete different dynamic. Both people obeying, but the motivation is different. So when it comes to motivation, religious motivation is based on fear and insecurity. If I don't obey, I'll be punished. That's the, therefore, I should, I don't know, read my Bible, pray, give, serve, go to church, don't lie. You live in this deep sense of insecurity, deep sense of fear of failure. Whereas the gospel motivation is based on grateful joy. Do you live, do I live, do we live out of grateful joy or out of insecurity and fear? And how do you respond when you are criticized? I mean, that I think really shows whether you and I are living out of religion called Christianity or living out of the gospel, the good news. So when you're criticized, do you become furious or devastated because it's very critical that people think of me and I think of myself as a good person? Threats to that self-image, you want to destroy it at all costs. That's a religious way of living. That's the religious inner character dynamic. Whereas the gospel dynamic, when you're criticized, you struggle. It's hard, but you can take it because 
It's not critical for you to think of yourself as a good person. Your identity is not built on your record or performance, but on God's love for you in Christ. So let me ask you, you just heard the distinction between the religion and the gospel. Where do you tend to lean more towards if you self-evaluate? Well, Keller says this, even the ones operating out of the gospel will naturally drift into religion unless constantly challenged and renewed. So all of us, no, most of us or many of us who grew up at church heard the gospel. Yes, I believe that Jesus loves me and he died for me. I am in Christ. But even those who confess faith in Jesus will naturally drift into living a religious type of life. That's why we need to be refreshed and reset constantly by the gospel. Because I see myself, even as I was preparing for today's message, I saw myself drifting into this religious work mode. Why am I feeling so weary all the time, so tired, so insecure? I need the gospel long to heal my soul, to fill my heart. I need the gospel to go deep into my soul, to anchor me, to center me. That's what God wants us to have. If you look at today's passage, this is how today's passage begins. People come and says this. You know, there's this two well-known religious movement led by John the Baptist and Pharisees. And John's disciples and the Pharisees, they were fasting. And people come and ask Jesus, why do John and Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples, Jesus, don't fast? Now, fasting in the Old Testament and in those days was a voluntary abstinence from food, as we know, and it was as a was done as a sign of repentance. So if you remember David after committing adultery, with, as an expression of repentance, he fasted. In the Old Testament, all Jews were physically capable, fasted at least once a year, day of atonement. So Jesus does not necessarily disagrees with the practice of fasting per se because in other places, Jesus teaches when you fast, this is how you should fast. So he's not against fasting, but John's disciples, Pharisees' disciples, they were fasting more than once a year. They were fasting every Wednesday, every Friday. They were very serious religious people. They were very devoted to God. In fact, if you look at the history, John the Baptist and his disciples and the Pharisees and their disciples, they were part of this renewal movement to 
bring about a renewal of the nation of Israel. So John the Baptist, they're part of the renewal movement in the desert, practicing asceticism, like fasting. Pharisees, they would practice movement, uh, the religious uh, renewal movement in marketplaces. It's a lay movement. But both very serious religious people. And then people look at Jesus and his disciples and go, you're not, you're not, you're not practicing fasting when all these religious people do. You're not religious enough. How come you don't fast? And look at Jesus' reply. His reply is not with a statement, but with a question. Verse 18, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. So imagine you go to a wedding feast and people are just looking at food, but they're not eating. And that's weird. That's what Jesus means. I have come as a bridegroom. It's time to have a feast. He's basically saying the gospel that I'm preaching is not a religion, it's a completely different thing. Gospel is not of religion or advancing of religion or making someone more religious. It's not about becoming more serious about my religion. Fasting is a good religious practice. But fundamentally, the gospel that Jesus preached was a totally different thing altogether. So then, what is the gospel? The gospel is a good news of joy that celebrates a new beginning. That's what wedding is, isn't it? Jesus likens the gospel to a wedding event. Number one, wedding is a joyful event. It's a celebratory event. Wedding, in fact, is my, one of my favorite worship services or favorite event. It's beautiful when two people come together to start new life together. We feast, we party Rightly so. In fact, the Bible begins with wedding and ends with wedding. God loves parties. God is God of joy. Garden of Eden literally means garden of joy, garden of delight. And that's where God put the first parents there, to be filled with joy. And Jesus is saying, the gospel that I'm preaching is all about celebrating the new beginning, just like a wedding. Because wedding, new beginning. When two people marry, their identity change, their status change. Usually, in our culture, last name changes for the bride. The status changes for both. No more single, but married. It's like your fundamental identity changes when you come to Jesus 
and become united with him from being a sinner to a saint. So Paul never calls you sinners as a greeting. No, he says saints, holy ones, you're set apart because of what Christ has done. We've tur- we have turned from become, we've changed from fundamentally being a sinner to a saint. We have fundamentally changed in our status from being separated from God to be united with Christ or with God in Christ. Just, just like married couples, I hear some different um, scenarios, but most, most, most of the time, when two people marry, they bring whatever resources they had financially, they share their bank accounts. What I owned is no longer just belonging to myself, but us as a couple. Whatever belonged to her, she, we combined it together. Yours is mine, mine's yours. And that's what happens. What Jesus has becomes mine. And what I have, Jesus also takes. What a great exchange. Even the ugly things, Jesus takes it all from me. And then he gives his beauty, his glory, his perfection, his love. He just lavishes on me. Now that's, that's what happens. We come to Christ. Along with the wedding feast metaphor, to highlight the radical difference between the gospel and religion, this is what Jesus says using two more metaphors. Verse 21, he uses a metaphor of new cloth on an old, old garment. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away. The new from the old and a worse tear is made. Second metaphor, new wine in old wineskin. You, you put new wine into old wineskin, it's going to burst, it's going to rip. It's going to tear. The wine's destroyed. The wine skin's destroyed. New wine needs new wine skins. What's the point? It's all the same point. Basically, the newness of the gospel that Jesus proclaims is completely incompatible with old religion. Either religion will rip the gospel or the gospel will rip religion. The two cannot coincide. You want to fast at the feast, you will ruin feast. You want to put new cloth on old garments, you will ruin new clothes. You want to pour new wine into old wineskin, you will ruin the old wineskin and the new wine. If you think about it, I mean, this is a beautiful picture of what the gospel does and should do. And it's good for us because the gospel has to rip and tear and rupture and burst our religious default mode to truly set us free to live a life of redemption, which is only possible when we are fully gospelized. Again, a lot of us, including myself, a lot of it is theoretical. 
yeah, I get it. I, I look at the chart and I, I, I see the difference between the gospel and the religion. But if we are still living in insecurity and fear and just hard time taking in criticism by other people, and when the circumstances don't turn out the way we want, we don't have peace. What does that show us about our real faith? Do we really know the gospel? Do we really acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ who sets us free and gives us peace, gives us hope, and assures of his love? Gospel shatters pride that's bred by religion. Gospel also shatters and heals insecurity and makes us confident because religion can lead us to become prideful. If I accomplish something, I will feel better than others who have not accomplished. That's a religious mindset. I'm better than you. If we look down on people of other religion, other different kind of lifestyle that we don't agree with, and we have this sense of this aura of I'm better than you, that just shows how lack, we under, how lack of an understanding we have or an experience of an experience of the gospel we have. Because the gospel teaches us we are utterly sinful and idolatrous that Jesus had to die for me. Now that, that completely humbles us. That's why true mark of a Christian who knows the gospel is humility. You cannot fake it. But sometimes we forget that and we become prideful. I'm better than you. What, what's the solution? Not trying to be humble, but remember what Jesus did for you, what Jesus had to do for you. But not only that, the flip side is gospel also heals us of insecurity and despair and fear and anxiety and even self-hatred self because the gospel says not only Jesus had to die for you, Jesus delighted to die for you. Some of you struggle with deep anxiety or self-hatred. You messed up your life. And you feel like there's no turning back. I, I've messed up too much. My parents don't love me. I can't, I can't, I, I hear, yes, I go, when I go to church, God loves me, but I don't feel that. You got to look to Jesus. You got to hear his voice. And Jesus says, my daughter, my son, I love you so much that I delight, I delighted to give my life for you. You're so loved. Where, where do we have the, the confidence to face circumstances, an unknown future, it's God confidence that is rooted deeply in the gospel that Jesus loves me 
so much that he was willing to die for me. So a gospelized person will not only be humble because he knows or she knows that Jesus had to die for me because of my sins. Not only that, but that person will be so confident at the same time. That's a beautiful character, isn't it? It's a beautiful inner character. You meet someone who is so humble, and that person, you, you can open up and talk, and you know that you are accepted. But not only that, that person is also very confident. There's a weird inner character dynamic in that person. And that person, I mean, the perfect person is Jesus, of course, who was a humble king. But he was so confident. He was love. He was a beloved son of God. And when we know the gospel, when we come to him, when we know the gospel, we will have that. And my question is, have you experienced him? Have you experienced the power, the invitation of the gospel? The gospel is not a religion. It is a good news of great joy that begins new era new beginning for you, not only today, but every day. That's why when we are feeling fearful, insecure, anxious, for you, for your family, for your children, for your friends, we need to be invited back to Christ who says, I love you. Yes, your sins are forgiven. You can start Fresh, whether it's the first time or the hundredth time. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up because I'm looking at the time. I think we should spend some time praying. Um, I'll be preaching in a few weeks later. But we, let's remember this: the gospel is a good news of great joy that celebrates new beginning. We wanna. Uh, uh, respond with a song and a prayer. So I want to invite praise team to come up as we sing in response. But before we sing, I do want to invite us to reflect what you just heard. And if you are lacking joy, let's let's pray together as a church because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And some of us, we work hard. We're very driven. But you're weary. And Jesus invites us to come to him to find rest for our souls. You don't have to try that hard. You work out of rest in me. I was thinking about how for Jesus, joy is more important than job. And we can fall into this trap of doing work and more work, but you feel like it's never enough. And Jesus came to set you free from that, set me, set us free from that cycle. He says, the gospel that I'm proclaiming says it's done. I finished the work, the ultimate work that needed to be done to prove yourself. You don't need to prove to anybody. Be set free, brothers and sisters. Let's come to Jesus.
And if you haven't come to Jesus and you want to know him, and you can pray this prayer, Lord Jesus, I want to know you. One who came as a bridegroom who ultimately dies for the bride. Jesus, I want to understand and experience the gospel. So show me, teach me, and you can talk to pastors or any of us in this church who will love to share the gospel more with you. So before the praise team leads us into a time of worship or songs in response to the message, let's spend a couple minutes just meditating and praying, responding to Jesus. set free from the bondage of sin and death, not only that, but the bondage of religion to love God, to run to God. Father, may what we just sang be true reality that is lived out day after day. That we will say it is joy to honor you when we wash dishes at home, when we feed our children, when we parent when I'm lonely and alone at home, spending time with you, however, that it's joy to be together with others, but also to be alone, joy to honor you through my work, joy to honor you through my ministry, that we will be motivated by grateful joy because of what Jesus has done, because of what you have lavished upon us by pouring yourself up to us, for us, to us. So may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with all of God's people who are invited to celebrate new beginning with Jesus every day, now and forevermore.